Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on jewishcoffeehouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. A few things before we get started. So I'd like to just remind you, if you haven't listened to the episode with CP Handler, go into the show notes. I am linking the episode there. So listen to that first, perhaps, or go back and listen to it after this episode. I do have to warn you that in this next series, today's episode and the following episodes, you will hear about violence and some explicit language. So trigger warning. Next, if you do enjoy this podcast, please share this podcast with your friends and community. This is how you help grow this show. If you are new here, welcome. And I'd like you to know that we have a WhatsApp group where you could join and participate in the conversation. And of course, I love hearing from you. Thank you so much for all your feedback. I am a podcast success launch coach, and this podcast is a part of Jewish Coffee House Network. So check out the other podcasts on the network by going to jewishcoffeehouse.com. You have requested more. So here we go. Welcome back to the Francisca Show. Today we have a follow-up episode on our episode with CP Handler from a few months back. Today we will be interviewing one of her clients slash kids as CP has referred to them. And today's guest is Randy. We are so excited to have you on. Welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Just a disclaimer, today is not a Jewish episode or focused on Jewish. We are going off tangent. So I, I know I got messages. Oh, are they Jewish? Like, let's just put this out for a little bit. We are going deep and raw into the story of Randy today. And we're so excited to have you on. So let's start off by you telling us a little bit about your childhood, your background, and we'll we'll move through your life story along. I'm Randy. I'm from Ohio, born and raised out here. Um, 27. I guess I've kind of had a rough life, you know, from childhood all the way growing up to what led me to go to DYS for juvenile life and basically led me where I'm at today, living my dreams now. <laughs> DYS is juvenile prison where you met CP for the first time, correct? Yes. How does a young boy end up in juvie? Well, you can end up there a million different ways, but me, I just kind of had like a rough childhood, as people call it. I didn't really think it was that rough when I was a kid, but as I look back, it's like, wow, I did almost survive. Like, I survived through all that, and I'm still here today. But I guess it kind of like all started when I was like young. One of my first earliest memories that I could think of, which is a bad memory, it was finding my stepfather dead and he had killed himself. He slid his wrist in the shower. That was kind of like the first memory I have. That's like the youngest I remember. That's when I lived with my mom. So how old were you? I was five when that happened, four or five. Did you have any siblings? Uh, yeah, I had a brother, actually. He was there. He was he was older than me. And I was the one who actually found him. My brother wouldn't go into the bathroom because, like, I remember the bathtub overfilling with water and it getting all, like we lived in a trailer. So I remember seeing all the blood in the hallway to like the trailer. And like, I was only like four years old. I didn't know what it was. I didn't think it was blood or nothing, you know? So me and my brother just played outside until my mom got home and 
she like went inside and like seen all the blood like on the floors and like i just remember her like because i remember i locked the door too like i opened the door and like i've seen the bathtub what we were filling and like i just locked the door and closed it and me and my brother went outside and played till my mom got home like i remember when she got home she went and like busted the door open and i remember her running in there and like i just remember the image of like her picking him up out of the bathtub yeah it was crazy so what happens after that do you stay with your mom no i didn't actually and like i don't know if that was kind of a part of why she kind of gave me to my dad but i always think in like the back of my mind like that kind of played part in it it was probably like a year after that i never met my dad at this time or nothing either i met my dad Right, like the day that I went to go live with him was the day I met him. And I didn't even know I was going to go live with him either. My mom told me I was going there for like the weekend, like a two-day thing just to meet him and stuff. And then like when Monday came around, they were like, oh, go take a shower, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, I don't have any more clothes. They're like, yeah, you do. Your mom dropped them all off earlier. So I went and looked in the back and there was like garbage bags full of all my clothes. And like, then I didn't see her again for like, probably like four or five years and like I loved her like I, I'd cry myself to sleep because I didn't like I'd want to hug and a kiss for my mom you know and uh not seeing her for so long just made me like not like her I don't know really I guess but uh she tried to come see me when I was like nine when I lived with my uh brothers and stuff and like I didn't really talk to her or nothing <laughs> after I moved in with my father and his girlfriend and their daughter and my grand, it was my grandfather's house. I didn't really know them that well or nothing. Like, I don't even think I called him dad when I first met him. Cause like, it was just weird, you know? Like, I'm like, I call you dad, I don't even know you. But then like, eventually, you know, we grew into each other from there. Like, it's unimaginable. You never had that closure with your mother. She just dropped you off. She didn't tell you. You know, there's this uh, Daniel Tiger song Grown-ups always come back. It's something we tell our kids, you know, don't worry, we drop you off at school or you go to a play date or a birthday party or to the grandparents. Grown-ups, we, we always come back and it's a given and it's something that at a such young age was just taken away without any closure or explanation mm -hmm. and just taking a moment to recognize that. So what was school life like for you, your social life? getting into your adolescent years school was it was always kind of a problem for me you know like third grade i got in trouble for making a bomb threat <laughs> like i was a kid i used to take apart like everything i don't know if you ever heard of macgyver there was a show he used to take apart things and build cool things and like people used to call me that when i was a kid because i'd take apart my remote control cars and like make them faster and like do cool things with them and like one day me and my teacher got into it and I had like some parts from my RC cars in my book bag. And like, I just made a stupid comment. Like, I'm going to blow this place up. Well, I said this B, you know, like this bitch. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got suspended for three days. My first time ever getting in trouble, really. They were like, if you like, this won't go on your permanent record or nothing, as long as you stay out of trouble until sixth grade. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. So I stayed, I, I stayed good, really. But I mean, I still got in trouble in school here and there, just little things. And uh, middle school was kind of when I started getting in really big trouble. I got caught with weed. I got expelled from school. 
Do you have friends? Oh yeah, I was I was kind of popular, you know. I mean, I had well, what I thought were friends, I guess, but they really weren't, you know. How so? A lot of my friends that I grew up with, they snitched on me, and that's kind of how I went to jail, because I didn't get really caught like with really anything except like um, some burglaries. But they all wrote statements and stuff, and and those were people I went to high school with, you know. Were they involved with you, and then when they got caught, they threw you under the bus? Yeah, yeah. How did that start out? How did you get into robbing people, and why did you start it? It started when I was probably like 14, 15. You know, I started like um, just basically experimenting with like weed and stuff, and then like my home life wasn't the greatest because I basically wasn't being loved the way that I wanted to be, you know, when I was a kid well the way I should have been you know like I should have had more love than I did when I was a kid or when I was that age so like it was kind of like just everything just amounting up to like people always told me that I wouldn't be nothing or like I'd end up in jail or you know and so basically I just thought that's what I had to be like that's that's just I thought that's what my life was gonna be it kind of started like when I was yeah, about 13 or 14 is when I started getting into, like, really big trouble. My first charge, I stole a dirt bike just out walking around, and then I seen a dirt bike, and I took it. <laughs> Had no reason to take it or nothing. I actually got caught on it, and that was kind of, like, the start of my criminal record, my adjudicated criminal record. When you got caught, did you feel bad? What were your feelings? No, not at the time, really. I didn't know how to feel like that when at that age. Like, I didn't know how to have empathy for others at that age. And I acknowledge that now. Like, at that time, like, I didn't care. In my mind at that age, I was like, if if nobody else cares, why should I care? So it's kind of like a, I don't know what to call it. I guess like all or nothing, you know? But, yeah, I really didn't feel bad for it. Like, I felt bad that I got caught. Like, shit. So after they got the dirt bike and stuff, uh, they put me on probation. They gave me receiving stolen property of a motor vehicle. And then like, um, well, there was a lot going on at home too at this time. Like what? So I got to backtrack. Sorry, it's just, I'm scattered. When I was eight, I was adopted by my grandfather. And it was all like, just kind of like a money scheme, kind of like adopted kids. They get a check every month. So my dad and my grandpa came with this plan, like, you adopt him and we'll get a check for him every month, you know? So I basically just came, became like a money child. Whoever I live with gets a check for a thousand, twelve hundred bucks, whatever it was. Like, I really don't know how much. It was something like that. But like, my grandpa always did take good care of me. I can vouch for that. He was just, he wasn't there that much, you know? How did he take good care of you and not be there that much? Well, because he made, he supplied, like, he, he got all the food. He always made sure I had food and like... Like, I remember one year, like, he bought me, like, anything I wanted for Christmas, he would get me. Like, one year I wanted a PS2, he, like, came and picked me up from my aunt's house and took me to go buy a brand new thing, you know? So he took care of your physical needs. Yeah, yeah. What was your relationship like with him? We were really close, because he was, like, kind of the only person I've had. Like, he, we, me and him got, like, really close. And um, he wasn't as bad as my dad. My dad was kind of abusive too like he'd slap me around and stuff and my grandpa he wasn't like that he was just like old time like old school 
Like he'll whip your ass, you know. He wouldn't hit you, but he would like bend you over his knee and whip you with like a belt, you know. <laughs> My dad, he would like hit you in the head and stuff like that. So yeah, I I got adopted when I was eight, and then I became like a money child. And then like when I was about eleven or twelve, this is when the family broke up, and this is kind of when everything kind of just turned so like my dad and my brother got in this big old fight about a cell phone deal or something i don't know and uh like it was bad my brother like ripped my dad's teeth out and like this is right in front of me like me and my stepsister watched it all happen my stepsister was getting ready to stab my stab my brother in like the back because he was beating the crap out of my dad and I remember, like, holding her back, like, nah, dad deserved this one because he smacked him with, like, an ashtray or something. It was, it was like, a wild fight. The police came, like, my dad ended up going to jail. My brother went to the hospital because he needed stitches. But that's what, like, broke up the family. And then, like, my grandfather, like, made it to where, like, I couldn't see my dad no more. And Jason, he was young. This is my brother. He was turned into my guardian now, you know, since my grandpa was always on the road. Dad's not in the house no more. It's only me and Jason there now. Like, everybody's gone except us two. I was getting into trouble and stuff. Just not being able to see my dad. I was getting mad and stuff. So, like, I would go out and kind of rebel. Just sneaking out, getting in trouble by the police. And then finally my grandpa moved me to my aunt's house when I was about 12. And I stayed out there for about a year. She kicked me out because my grandfather gave one of her dogs away. So she had kicked me out, and then I moved back at, like, 14, 15, back in with Jason. So it's me, Jason, and my grandpa back in the house. Jason didn't really care what I did. You know, he's young. He's 20. He was he was younger than I am now, like, with a little brother. Like, I wouldn't have cared what you were doing either, you know? So, like, I had a lot of freedom, and that's kind of, like, what kind of was bad, too, me having all that freedom to get in trouble back to the trouble you were getting into what eventually got you to juvie yeah i got the rsvp the of the dirt bike the receiving stolen property for that i was on probation and my first time ever getting locked up i think it was like three days maybe maybe a week they locked me up for violating probation, like I skipped school or something. So then I went in, and then I got out, and I was out for like a couple weeks. Did something else, I forget. Probably I failed a drug test maybe or something, or like I skipped like a thing. I don't really remember. But then they locked me up for two weeks. And they are like, your third time's not going to be, though, two weeks. So the third time, they locked me up for 90 days. I remember on my 90th day, I either had to go, I had to get released that day or go to court. And I was like, oh, I'm getting out, I'm getting out. Nope, they came and picked me up and took me to a group home for six months. And then I got out of there and I was doing really good then. Like I was, I was on top of my stuff. Like I was getting good grades at school. They have this thing at our school. It's like a pioneer of the month, like the most improved kid. And like, I, I got that, I had good grades. And then like one day I, I didn't come home straight after school and my my grandfather, he got mad about it, and like he this is at this time he's he's older, like he can't really drive truck that much now because he's he he had gangrene on his feet, so like he doesn't drive truck anymore. He sits at home, and he's the one really watching me. But I didn't come home later on that day when I did come home. He got we got in a big fight, and I remember he broke a cane over my head, like a wooden a wooden like walking cane. So I'm right 
took the other half of the cane and I ran to my aunt's house and I was like, I'm not going back. Like, I'm not going to school or nothing. Cause like, I'm on, I thought I was on probation, but I wasn't on probation anymore. I, they didn't tell me I wasn't on probation. So that's kind of why, like, I ran away and I didn't come back because like, oh yeah, if I go back, I'm definitely going back to jail because I'm not going to school. So I was already off probation and I didn't know this until I actually caught my new charges. And so after I ran away and stuff, like, I'm thinking I'm going to go back to jail. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to go back. Like, forget that, you know? So I was kind of on the run. Well, I thought I was still on the run, which I really wasn't. So it's kind of like the all or nothing thinking again. It was like, okay, I already got, I'm already going back to jail. Like, it doesn't even matter what I do now. And really, I didn't really have to do anything. I could have just went home. And like, my grandpa would have took me back in, you know, he probably would have. But, um, you know, you got to eat when they don't have any money and you got to figure out ways to get money. And like, I'm only 15. I can't really get a job. Like could have probably like fast food, but nobody wants to do that. You know, I just remember the first robbery that I ever did. We got like $3,000. Well, I got $3,000 and, and from there it was just like easy money. You know, I was just like, wow, that was so easy. Like I put forth some minimal effort. Can you describe what it means to rob someone do you surveil them beforehand or was it spontaneous it was weird like it was a lot different times like back then like people weren't like all gun-ho happy and like they it was it wasn't as it is and i don't i don't it was it's, it's like thinking about it now like, i don't even know how i used to do that it's and like when i used to rob people we like knock on their door and see if they were home and if they were, we would offer to, like, cut their grass or something, you know? So, like, we're going to make money, like, regardless, kind of. And some people said, yeah, please cut our grass. Yeah, and yeah like, we've had, had people do that. And, like, we would come back and cut their grass, you know? and Or we wouldn't, you know, if it was too far away, depending on where we're at. And then, like, yeah, like, it's, it's I don't know how I used to do that. Like, we would knock on the door, and if nobody was there, like, we would find a way to get into your, the house and like take what we could, you know? Did you fight over who gets to keep what? Well, no, like, because at the first one I did, it was like six or seven people and I just came just to be there. And then like, I ended up going in the house too and I ended up finding three grand. And I feel so bad, damn, I'm such an asshole. But, um. Yeah, like, after that first time, it was just like, okay, that's how I can get money and eat. And, you know, I'm partying a lot, too, because, like, I'm not going to school. I'm not doing nothing with my life, not doing anything productive. Yeah, I got uh, just robbing houses, and I got caught with a couple guns. I have four felony 30s and two felony 2s and, like, 11 misdemeanors. I only did that just because I needed money and like food and places to sleep you know like people aren't gonna let you eat and stay at their place for free you gotta put forth something you gotta bring something to the table you know when you get to juvie what are your feelings about the world oh man it was i knew because like you like as a juvenile like being in a detention center you hear you hear all this stuff about juvenile prison you know and then like you hear all this stuff outside of it as a kid like oh you better not go to juvenile prison like oh big bubble will get you blah 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 like you hear all these things and like when you're pulling up to those gates 
because the detention home is completely different than juvenile prison. Like juvenile prison is literally, there's a gate wrapped around the whole thing. Our detention home didn't have that. It was just a building and you had like a little gate outside. Like pulling up to those gates, I'm the only person coming in. And like, it was the day after Thanksgiving. And uh, I'll never forget that because I was the only person that was on intake unit. And this is like the Supermax 23 and one in Circleville. They actually closed that institution down now. But yeah, I was the only one there. It was so weird. But like pulling into that place, I was just like this when they called the Sally Port. That's what they call it. Like the gates going into there. Like I'm pulling up and I'm just like, oh my gosh, here it goes. Like I'm going to punch the biggest dude I see. Like that was what I've always been told, you know, as soon as you get in there, punch the biggest dude. It doesn't even matter if you lose, you know, I was scared. I was nervous. I didn't know what to expect because it's literally a whole different world. Like nothing out here pertains to anything in there. Nothing in there pertains to anything out here. It's completely different. The rules are different. The laws are different. Like I watched a kid get stabbed in the head with a pencil once. Did he survive? Oh, yeah. I've seen a kid get hit with a lock and a sock while he was sleeping. I didn't see it, but I was on the same unit. And, like, we all woke up to this dude getting hit with a lock and a sock. Like a lock for your school locker that was in a sock and somebody was beating him with it. I guess it's definitely, it's definitely crazy. And you see, like, the people that come in there, you could tell which ones aren't going to make it. What do you mean by not going to make it? They're just going to get extorted. They're going to get their food taken. They're going to get taxed. Like, taxed is like, okay, you order commissary, and somebody comes and takes it all from you. Kind of like the government with your paycheck. They take it. Like, here, we, yeah, you did all that, but we're going to need it from you, you know? Now but, you know all about that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And I'm a, a taxpayer. Yeah, and you could take it one of two ways, you know? You can either take it to... Either look at the opportunity as what it is, like, okay, you could either learn to get better or learn to be a better criminal from there. And that's when I first went in. I was wild. So in the juvenile thing, there's minimum, medium, and close. Minimum is like minimum security. Medium is medium security. And close is maximum security. So when I, when you go in, you take a test and they classify you on on your class and I classified one away from uh like the maximum security or two points or something like that and I was like oh man I'm going to like Sciota like I'm gonna stay here in 23 and 1 you know nope I, I got lucky and they put me in the minimum institution as I, I was a medium but they put me in the minimum institution of B dorm and like when I first got there I was on intake unit and some of my friends came from Lorraine I remember it was probably not even my 15th day there. We had a big riot. Just a big old fight on uh, Giagador. It was like, it was supposed to be the whole unit, but everybody else got scared. And it was only like six or eight of us that ended up getting into the riot. And um, like when I first got there, my first year, I was just rebelling against everybody. Like, F you, F this. I don't want to be here, you know? And like, I realized it was it was mainly my cousin's death in 2014. It was June, my cousin Texas' death that kind of like really opened my eyes a little bit and made me realize like it like opened my mind. You know what I mean? Like I kind of like the more I hate this place, the longer my time is gonna be. 
you know? And like, cause I wake up a lot hating it and it just went by so slow. So like I, I acted like I loved it and I eventually, I'm not going to say I loved it, but I made myself love it. You know what I mean? Like I'd wake up with a smile on my face, you know, I was going to sleep with a smile on my face. Nobody could touch me. You know, I heard this one thing before it was, it said, um, if you act good, eventually you'll be good. You know, you can act good for years. Eventually you're going to become it. And that's kind of like what I did. You know, I was just acting good, like, because all the stuff, like, being bad and rebelling against everybody, I mean, it did get you somewhere in there, because they did show a lot more love to the bad kids than the good kids, but, but it didn't get you anywhere, really, like, mentally. It made it more stressful for you, like, me, than anybody else. Talk to me about your first meeting with CP. Oh, our first meeting? <laughs> your first introduction and like, what did you think of her? Oh, um, I didn't like her at all. Didn't like her at all. I remember, I remember I got assigned to her caseload. I didn't talk to her for like the first two, three, maybe is is a couple months, you know? I think I even like told her off one time, maybe. I don't really remember, but I know we did have a rocky start, but eventually... Eventually, we started talking, and then, like, we ended up becoming, like, good, like, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. I don't want, I guess friends, you know, I would say, you know, like, we came really close, and, like, we, like, I was able to talk to her, and, like, I could tell that she actually cared. Besides, like, everybody in the building, you know, there's all negative in that whole building. It's all negative. There's nothing good coming out of a juvenile prison, you know? But, like, I could just, I don't know, like, her vibe and just, you could tell that she really cared about these kids in this building. And when nobody else did, like, not even their own parents cared, you know? And I'm a, I'm an example of that. Like, I could, I could vouch for that. Like, she cared for me even when I didn't care about myself. Was that a big factor? It was, like, how can she possibly care so you couldn't trust it? Yeah, yeah. It was just, like, how can I trust her when I can't even trust my family, I can't trust, like, I can't even trust my own mom, you know? Like, how can I trust her? And, like, I, I I got past that. It took a while, but I did get past that. And I'm like, here we are today, 10 years later. It is 10 years. Yeah. 10 years later. We're right around Thanksgiving. <laughs> Tell me about a pivotal moment in your work with CP, if you're comfortable sharing. She basically, like, described to me, like, like a life different than the life I was living because what I was doing is it felt like that's all I ever known was like to rebel and stuff and like she opened my mind and like mentored me to like I don't really know it's basically watching her too and like how she handled herself how did she handle herself like just always so nice and caring no matter what like nobody could bring her down no matter what happened to her her tires got slashed and she still came in the next day laughing and smiling about it and I had another person in there, too, Dr. Williams. Like, she was a good person, too. Like, her smile would brighten up a whole room. And it was just like, how do I get to be like that? I'm not going to get it going down this road. Like, I have to try something different, you know? But uh, a pivotal moment would be, like, I can't really think of one. I, I know there's a bunch, but, like, I just can't think right now. Tell me about the relationships you've made in prison were any of them real oh yeah those some of the like the relationships in there you'll never match like i mean not with the staff or not but like the brotherhood and the relationship that i had with those a lot of those kids in there like i'll never have that again with nobody else and that that sucks you know but 
I'm thankful I did have those because those helped me out a lot too. Like those kids in there, like they don't have nobody. You're with them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they become like your brothers, like literally like your brothers. It's like living with your family, you know, like we, we read each other's letters. We, we show each other pictures and, and stuff like that. But like those relationships, you won't, you won't match nothing like that just because like the kids and they're like, it's, it's all of you. You know what I mean? Like the youths have to stick together. Like they have that certain kind of bond, you know, and then like the staff, they stick together. Were you ever abused or mistreated by anyone but staff particularly? I wasn't like, like, no, I was well known. Like everybody knew me there because I had the longest time there, you know, one of the longest times there, when, except when Emilio came. <laughs> Emilio came and blew me out of the water. But um, no, like, I mean, I did, like a lot of staff didn't like me because I kind of had more I'm not going to say power, but I had more leeway than they did because, like, I would cook food for the superintendent meetings. Like, I worked down in the front office. I, I was, like, at the beginning of privileges. my... Yeah, I had a lot of privileges. Like, privileges nobody in that institution will ever see again. Like, I threw the first pitch at an Indians game in this prison. I, like, I've... Yeah, it was crazy. Like, I've done... A, and they don't ever do this again. Like, they made me actually... They actually made me a photo album when I left. It was weird. The craziest thing. Talk to me about what it was like leaving and restarting your life. Scary. I was scared. I was definitely nervous because my my parents, my my father and my grandfather, they came up frequently and came and seen me in there. And they were they were making bets on me. They were like, uh, you won't make it six months. You won't make it six months, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, all right. And that's kind of like I held that up too. But a main thing that helped me getting out of jail was not going back to the same environment that put me in jail. So I moved in with my brother, Jason. Uh, he was, thank God that he let me move back in with him because if I had to move back in with my grandpa, that I probably would be back in jail right now, honestly. And CP helped you make those choices? She actually helped me make those decisions because I was even telling her, like, I don't know where I'm going to go when I get out, you know? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where I'm going to stay at. Like, I... Like, I love my grandfather, but I don't want to stay in that environment, you know? And she was like, what about your brother? And I was like, nah, he wouldn't let me do it, you know? Like, he wouldn't. We went back and forth about it a couple times, and you're like, just ask him, you know? And then, like, I ended up asking him, and he's like, he's like, yeah, like, he actually thought about it. And he's like, yeah, dude, like, I, I'm cool with that, you know what I mean? Because he, after I asked him, like, we, we didn't really have a relationship. He didn't come and see me that much in jail. But, like... Once we started talking and stuff, and, like, he started coming up with seeing me is when I asked him. And he was just like, yeah, dude, like, I don't have a problem with that. So you got a job? Yeah, yeah. And I actually, I worked in jail. I did drywall in there and for a dollar seventy-five an hour. <laughs> that sucked. I put in so much drywall in that place. Now, like, being out and looking back, all that labor they got off of me, that was, like, a $100,000 job I did there. And I, they paid me about four hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, like getting out, I was really nervous. I was scared, even just just because I know all my friends are gonna hit me up to want to hang out. I've been away for three and a half years. Like everybody's hitting me up. So when I first got out, I didn't do nothing for about two months. I didn't do nothing. I sat in the house and just. And my brother's like, "Dude, you gotta get out the house, go do something." 
And the first thing, I, first place I went, I walked to the library and I just checked out some books, went back home. I had a flip phone. I remember I got out and I bought a flip phone because I, I didn't even know how to use like a smartphone. Like I didn't know how to sign into Facebook. I didn't even know how to work like anything. I'm just like, man, technology was so crazy and so different from when I went in. It blew my mind. Yeah, then I finally uh, landed a job at Taco Bell. And that was fun. <laughs> Not really. Was it hard getting or the process of getting a job with a record? No, because I was juvenile, so it was adjudicated. So places that do background checks can't see juvenile records. So that was that was cool, too. Even with, I had an SYO uh, attached to my thing. So an SYO is a serious youth offender. That's like a repeat offender. That's like, okay, this is your life. You're like, you get in a fight in jail. You can go to adult. You know what I mean? You can go to adult prison. And I was testing the limits of that too. I got a bunch of fights and I did a bunch of things to where they could have bonded me over, but they didn't, thankfully. Yeah, I got out, but they set me up too. Like Terry Florence, mad respect for him. Miss that dude too. He helped me out, man. He 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 took me off campus to go get like my driver's license. I remember he took me off shop to go to Kohl's to go get a whole suit. Like I spent like four hundred dollars of my commissary money because he could pull the money off my books and spend it on things. So like when he found out I had a court date, because my time was mandatory. I had four years till my twenty first birthday, whichever came first. And of course, my 21st birthday came before that, I'm pretty sure. And then like with that, you can't get, you really can't get like an early, I guess, because it's like, or you think you can, but it's, it's something weird. It's like a, a 21 staff, I think, or something. I forget. It's something weird. Tell me about Terry Florence. When he found out, like when the whole institution, I found out I got a court date, he was just like, we got to get you off campus. He's like, I'm making sure you're getting out because I'm just dead late. Like I, I've done it. I exercised everything I could in there. Like I did, I did cooking classes. I did drywall. I did everything I could. And he's so Terry, like he was a really cool guy. I'd sit there and talk to him for hours too. But um, yeah, he took me off campus, bought me a suit, shoes, and I like remember we're getting ready to leave, and he's like, "Oh, we gotta get you a watch. We gotta go get you a watch." We went and bought a watch, and then like when I went to court, I had. I had like five people come with me. Flo was there. I remember he stood up and spoke. And and like, if it wasn't for those people coming to court with me, I'd have never got out that day. The judge even said, she's like, I called you in here today to basically um, tell you to stop writing for your early. But she's like, you brought five people with you that are vouching for you. They're like, you're, you're just dead weight. Anything else, like him sitting in here is hurting him more than it's going to help him out. And she was like, I can't release you today because you have to serve at least one day of your last year. And I don't even know how she did that because it was uh, concurrent. I don't know how she did it, but she did it. She sentenced me back to the detention home for that one day. And then Friday, I got released from the detention home of doing like three years. Did you do anything special to make all these people show up for you and vouch for you? They call it special, but I, I guess they, I guess it would be special. I just call it giving thanks to them, you know? Like, I owe it to those people, you know? Because I just did what I had to do, you know? I was a good kid. I, I changed. I, I, I guess they call it rehabilitated. And it was them that really helped me. And, like, I didn't want to let them down, too, because that's kind of what kept me out so long, too, is, like, when I get in those ruts of, like, thinking, like, 
off, F this, F that. I just think of like the people I would hurt. Even if like they're different today, you know, it still doesn't change my outlook on who that person was at that time. And like, I feel like I'd still let you down if I messed up, you know. Before we move on to your life now, and I definitely want to go a little bit into that. Is there something you can share? Because I know on our next episode with Emilio, who comes from the gang life, and you did not come from that. What was that like being not in the gangs and having to live or have relationships with people who who are was it intimidating did you feel insufficient first went to dys i remember i first got to um cleveland and ernest he came and sat on my rack and this cp nobody knows who this kid is i shouldn't say names but they call him e and he, he was, what do they call it? The GF, the godfather of the gang at the time. Like, that's like the top guy that calls all the shots and stuff. He came and sat on my rack. Like, and I'm only here for like an hour or two. Like, it's nighttime. Everybody's getting ready for bed. I just got here. And he was like, hey, I know what you're in here for. He's like, you want to get down, O down, or something else. It was like some kind of slang that they use. And that's like, are you going to join the gang? Are you going to pay the gang? Are you going to be a victim of the gang? And I was like, I'm not going to be none of those. I'm flirt solid. I was like, you can do what you got to do. You know what I mean? But just know I'm not giving up nothing. I'm not doing none of that. And nothing ever happened. You know what I mean? I felt like he really respected it. Because after, well, after the riot, because like the riot was a couple days after that. After that, they really never like tried to press me or nothing. Because they just kind of knew who I was. And like, I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to go down for none of that stuff. And like a lot of them became real good friends with, you know. I'd bring them down to the superintendent's office and it could be feeding them steaks and tacos down there with us, like the gang members. Tell us about your life today. What does it look like? Oh, my life is everything I've ever dreamed of. It's literally, I mean, minus the money part. Okay, I could always use a little bit more money, you know. But other than that, my life is amazing. I got a beautiful baby boy. His name's Lincoln. He's one and a half. And a beautiful girlfriend. She's amazing. A beautiful house out here in a rural, rural area, you know. And it's like, this is literally what I used to dream about in, in DYS. Like, this is what I want to be. I wanted to be that neighbor that, like, when they came over to my house for a cookout or something, and, like, I told them, like, yeah, I was in prison for four years. They'd be like, what the hell? Well, for what, you know? And, like, that's what I am today, you know? Some people, I tell them, like, what? Like, you did four years? Like, you do not seem like that type. Do you feel like you have completely healed from your childhood trauma? I don't think that anybody will ever be completely healed from all the trauma they have. It never goes away. It just gets easier to cover up and hide. Do you feel like you're fully functioning adult and part of society or is there anything you struggle with that you still carry from your past oh yeah definitely i do i struggle a lot you know especially not having any parents because i just lost my father recently so and then i don't talk to my mom anymore so like i don't really have like the family and i'm like me having a kid i didn't have any childhood pictures to even compare like, pictures of me when I was a baby to my kid, you know? Like, the youngest picture I have of me, I think I'm five, maybe six. And it's, like, a blurry, like, you know? But like you could tell it's me because my looks haven't changed. But, like, that kind of bothers me. Like, not having any pictures and stuff, like, when I was a kid. Like, that kind of bugged me a lot, too. Does anything come up for you now that you're raising a child? 
are you being more mindful? Yeah, it yeah it does. Like even me having like my son. Okay, like it's I think about that a lot too. It's like I think about like how can somebody I, I don't know. I think about my mom too. Like how can you have a child out there you know nothing about? You know, like I I compare that to my child. Like I can't go a day without seeing my dude and like making him laugh or something. You know. And like, I don't feel like that's ever going to change, ever. A lot of your unresolved or resolved yeah. you know, stories with your childhood comes up because mm-hmm. now you're seeing the perspective yeah. of the parent and you're reliving his childhood with your childhood, yeah. comparing it. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, my parents taught me how not to raise a kid. My son, he's so happy. He's a little butthead sometimes, but... <laughs> He's a boy, you know. So before we wrap up, I still have one question. Have you ever hurt anyone, either intentionally or unintentionally, that you had to work through or resolve? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. What's your biggest regret? I've been asked a bunch, and I don't, I don't really regret anything in my life. And the only reason why I don't regret anything is because if I regret it, I'm going to think about it more than often than I should when I just want to forget about it probably. So I, I, I wish things didn't happen in the ways that they did, but I don't regret them. Like, I'm sorry that they happened like that. I'm sorry it took that way for me to figure it out, like going down that road. But if it wasn't for that happening, I wouldn't be here or nothing. But the one thing that I could have like, and I don't want to say regret, but I wish I could have changed was Probably just being more closer to my grandfather, really. I guess my original question was any victims that you feel most regret uh, about? Yeah, I feel bad for all of them, you know? Like, I, man, there was so many. You know, there was, there was quite a few. And, like, I do feel bad, but I was just young and dumb, and I wasn't even thinking <laughs> at all. If there's anything you'd like to say, CP's listening to this conversation right now, there's anything you'd like to tell her that I'm sure you've told her everything under yeah. the sun already, but if yeah. you can make a moment out of this conversation right now and express what what she's been or what she has done for you to help you have the life today that you dreamed of when you were in DYS, what would a few sentences that come to mind to you be? That I really appreciate it and that I wouldn't mess it up for anything. I'm going to keep going strong till the day I die. CP, is there anything you'd like to add to the conversation? It's crazy that it's been 10 years, right? Like, that's a very huge know, remember, right? Yeah, I met you. I met you. You were uh, 16. Yeah, I was about to turn 17. Yeah, mm. it's crazy that it's been 10 years. I think that you know this, that, like, the best thing, the best gratitude that you can show is living your best life and paying it forward spreading your inner healing to everybody around you and then ultimately like as widespread as you can and as people are interested in i always tell you it's an honor and when you facetime me with lincoln's birthday party right when he turned one like any any way that i am still involved in your life and able to provide support to you to kayla to lincoln um it's just an honor like it's really the fight that you had when i met you and the fight that you have today, it was always gonna live within you, comes along with an adult brain. 
which there's a lot to say to that. I also think it comes along with a lot of healing and effort on your part. It's an inspiration and it's beautiful and listening to you and your comments and your responses and your observations from like a trauma lens, it's absolutely mind boggling that you've created the life you always dreamed of. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's still a lot, and like you know, CP, there's still a lot more, but that's just like a lot of key things in my life, you know, that like, I kind of think about, like I, I remember, you know, like the key memories, core memories, you know. Yeah. But now you've caught up. All adults have stuff, yeah. and we're all working on ourselves. Yeah, every day. I'd like to thank you both so much for doing this conversation. It's such an honor to be facilitating this 10-year anniversary reunion yeah. and <laughs> deep dive into a, uh, a short version of your life story. Your story was brought up and described in our first episode together. And then CP kept referring to you as her kid and yeah. Yeah. that she loves <laughs> you. And I, first of all, you know, you're adults now and she keeps calling you kids and yeah. I, I was trying to understand what she's talking about. I have had students before yeah. and they're kids, but they're not my kids. And it hit me after having this conversation that there's so much more that the care and the love and that you've built together. Yeah. It's it's beautiful to see and it's inspiring to awesome. celebrate life transformation. You were that little vulnerable boy and CP found you and it was that first bubble of positivity you've experienced in your life it seems like and it feels like we're witnessing a miracle story and yeah it's so beautiful when i first met her it was it was bad though <laughs> it wasn't like that at first it took a couple months yeah I, you know people listening and people who are in treatment and people who've gone through trauma like i think that's a good thing to remember that in the beginning sometimes it's more painful and more fears will come up and when you plunge through it and you have the courage to stay in treatment like Randy did, then you can really actively create miracles in your healing process and then in your life. Thank you so much, CP. Thank you, Randy. You're welcome. That was awesome. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening until the end. If you are not subscribed to the show or if you are not following the show on your podcast app, make sure to do so so you don't miss a notification. Check out the backlog of this podcast, as well as the other podcasts on the Jewish Coffee House Network. If you need help with your podcast, or if you know anyone who needs help with their podcast, please do refer them to me. This is how you help support the show. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend or family member. Keep talking about it. Participate in the WhatsApp group conversation. And stay tuned for the follow-up episodes with Emilio in the next few weeks. In the meantime, if you are celebrating Thanksgiving, have a beautiful weekend. If not, have a beautiful week as well. See you next week. Vacation starts with VA. Whether you're feeling beachy, mountainy, or every E in between, you'll find all that you love all in one trip to Virginia. Start yours at virginia.org.